just to remind you, religion and tradition and uh, the enemy and this world, they try to separate giving from receiving. But we said that giving and receiving, they go together. They're two parts of one action. Like uh, Brother Donald said, it's like when you breathe in air, you have to breathe out. And when you breathe out air, you have to breathe in. And so there is no giving without receiving. As a matter of fact, God said that um, it, would, it would be an effort to mock him to think, uh, right? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. So in the same way that, that planting always brings a harvest, uh, giving always leads to um, receiving. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 3. This is our, I guess, you know, main verse for this particular uh, So awkward moment here, right? Um, you say, what could have been that important? They don't know how to turn the ovens on. So can somebody go help them? Um, what it is, it's not the same oven. Thank you, Brother Jerry. Yeah, Brother Jerry knows how to. I was trying to think who could help them. So um, back in the day, we had big commercial gas ovens, but we don't have those anymore. And so these are the newer electric uh, uh, convection ovens, and they work differently. So amen anyway. Um, Praise God. You realize the alternative, right, is that we wouldn't have lunch, and so they had to know how to turn that oven on. So anyway, um, somebody give Pam a hug later because I'm sure she was not. Uh, like who else is going to come down here and, and do that, right? It's like, I guess it would be Sister Pam. So amen. It's, we're family, right? Amen. If you're a guest with us, we still consider you family. All right. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If you notice the pattern here, he's saying, Honor the Lord with your possessions, so your barns will be filled with plenty. Honor the Lord with your possessions, so your barns will be filled with plenty. The word so means for this reason, in order that, or to such great extent. So honoring God with your possessions is a tangible expression of trust. And remember, there's no greater trust, I'm sorry, there's no greater honor than to trust. There's no greater honor than to trust. People talk all the time about honoring God, but, but do not trust Him. It would, it would not be very honorable for me as a grandfather for my children and grandchildren to talk about how much they love me, how much they this and that, but that they don't trust me, Right? So there's no greater honor than trust. In Jesus' first sermon, I'm just doing a quick review because I know we've got some guests with us this morning. In Jesus' first sermon, he talked about three key practices. He talked about praying, he talked about fasting, and he talked about giving. And he talked about those three things from a very uh, specific um, perspective in that how to pray and get results, how to fast and get results, and how to give and get results. In other words, he said there's a way that you can pray that will enable Father to reward you openly, and there's a way that you can pray that will prevent Father from being able to reward you openly. In the same way, there's a way you can fast 
that will enable Father to reward you openly. And there's a way that you can fast to be seen by men, to be recognized and patted on the back and receive honor and glory from people, which he says that whatever benefit you got from that pat on the back is the only reward you will be receiving um, for that prayer, for that fasting. And then he did the same thing with giving. It wasn't that Jesus was saying you shouldn't expect to receive when you give. He was saying, listen, if you, if you want to receive when you give, if you want to be rewarded openly by God when you give, then you need to give correctly. You need to do it in the right way. And so we've said that, that giving to be seen is not the same thing as giving to receive. Okay. Now, let's, um, let's go to a couple of questions that we've been asking. Really, um, it's just this one has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him? Let me, let me kind of step away for just a minute, for, especially for those of you, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to kind of... This is sermon number seven, so we've got six sermons under our belt so far uh, on this subject, and I realize some of you weren't here for, for those earlier messages, and I want to try to get you up to speed as quickly as I can. Um, what, what we see is that God desires for you and me to be blessed. Um, I think it was Brother Charles Capps, after many years of studying the Bible and preaching and teaching, the Lord spoke to him and he said, I want you to read my Bible like, you've, like you're reading it for the first time. I want you to read it like you've never heard anything about it before, like you've never been taught anything about it before. And, and just hear it and receive it for what it says. Now, why do you think the Lord would tell him to do something like that? It's because so many times we come to the Scriptures with preconceived ideas about what God is and what God does and how God works and how these things are to play out in our lives. And we, we read the Bible with that slant or with that perspective or with that, with that philosophy or that tradition or you know, how mom and them did it and, and, and what the church believed that I grew up in did it, right? And so he, the Lord spoke to him. He said, I want you to read it like you've, like, you know, like you've never heard any of that stuff and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you and reveal to you what it is that I'm, that I'm trying to say to my people. Now, it's sad to me because we've come to a place in, in modern Christianity to where we've, we've lost sight of what God's real desires for his people are what God really wants for you and for me. And I believe there are three places where we can see God's desires for His people more clearly than any other place that we have uh, access or understanding of, right? The first place that we see is how things were in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. How things were in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. And what we see is that they lived in abundance. They were created for abundance, and they were living in the midst of abundance. So many times, all we know, and this is one of those, one of those, um, uh, how, how we've been conditioned to think a certain way, most of what people understand about God's instructions to them in the Garden of Eden were, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you know, before God ever told them of one tree not to eat from, that he showed them every tree that was in the Garden of Eden and told them to eat from it freely. Every tree that's in this, in this garden, God said, I put it here for you to enjoy, and I want you to enjoy it. I want you to eat from it freely. I want you to be... See, that's grace, by the way. 
But that's grace, by the way. They, they, didn't, they didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. God gave it to them. And he said, I want you to enjoy all of these trees. But you see that one tree right over there, that one's mine. Don't touch it. Okay? Now, what we're going to see as we work our way through this, this study is that anytime you give something to God, you're actually giving him something that he's already given to you. Now, whether you acknowledge that or not, the, the reality of it is everything that you have in your life right now, it, it came from God, okay? And God blessed you with it. And so all, when we give to him, all we're doing is giving back to him what he's already given to us, which is fine. God's fine with that, amen? Because it's, it's, it's not about the, 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 the substance. It's not even about the quantity. It's about the trust. It's, it's about your willingness to trust him and to recognize him as the source of every good thing in your life. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that when God, you know, put them in the garden with all those trees, that he didn't place any restrictions. He just told them, look, every tree in this garden, you just have at it. You enjoy it. You eat all that you want. And then maybe a month or two later, God comes back and he says, hey, Adam, man, listen, all these trees you got, you, you seem to really enjoy them. I watch you eat and enjoy and just be blessed by all these trees. I was wondering if, if, if you would mind giving me one of those trees. Well, again, this is not in the scriptures, but I'm just asking you to use your imagination for a moment. I can imagine that Adam would have responded something like you and I would have responded. It's like, God, are you kidding me? I wouldn't have a tree to my name if it wasn't for you. I mean, pick you out two or three. What, whatever you want, God, just they're yours. I mean, I, yes, sir, have at it, right? But see, that's not how this works. See, when, when God said that one is mine, he was providing Adam with something to give him. He was providing Adam, I like to call it the tithe. It, it, it's not, God didn't use the word tithe, but that's, that's what the 10% of our increase is. All the 100% of it came from God, right? But God's saying, hey, listen, 10% of that increase is mine. Do you trust me enough to give it back to me? Do you trust me enough to keep your hands off of it and give it to me? So it's not that God needs the money. Are you hearing me? It's, it's not that God's like, listen, if you don't pay your tithes, we're not going to get the light bill paid up here in heaven. It's, see, that's not how any of this works. It's all the ways of God are, are, are designed to teach you and me to trust him. And so there's no greater honor than to trust, right? So when Adam kept his hands off that one tree, he was, he was in essence giving that tree to God because he's like, look, every tree in, in here I have access to, but God said that one's his and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove myself faithful. I'm going to prove myself trustworthy by not, you know, eating from the tree that God has told me not to eat from. Is this, is this making sense to anybody in the room? All right, so I've got too many things going. Let me try to stay focused right here. So three places that we can see God's will for us most clearly. We see it in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned, and we see that they were created in abundance, for abundance. They, they were not um, uh, toiling, they were tending. Amen. There's a difference between when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they went from tending the garden to toiling for, from the sweat of their brow. Okay? Now, the next place that we can see the will of God, what God ultimately desires for human beings uh, and, and you and me on planet Earth, the second place we can see it more clearly is in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. Amen. Because we see that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is the express image and the brightness of His glory. And so when you see how Jesus treated people, when you see how Jesus blessed people, when you see how Jesus loved people, when you see how Jesus fed people and ministered to people and helped people, by the scores of thousands. Amen. Again, he went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. 
when Jesus rebuked a storm that was trying to drown him and his, his disciples, he, this, that storm didn't come from God. He didn't stand in the bow of that boat and rebuke his father. He was destroying the work of the devil. It was something the devil was doing, trying to drown Jesus and trying to d- drown the disciples before the church ever even got off the ground. When he opened blinded eyes, when he, when he healed sick children, when he did all these things, he, he wasn't undoing his father's works. He was undoing the devil's works. And he was revealing to us the true heart of his father and the true desire of his father. Anybody remember when everybody was hungry and the disciples were like, look, Jesus, th- these folks have been hanging around here. We're ready for a break. Send them home. Jesus said, I'm not going to send them home hungry. You feed them first. See, th- th- we lose sight of this sometimes. This is the heart of God. He doesn't want people going home hungry. It's like, so what? He gave everybody just, you know, uh, uh, some rations. No. He gave them a buffet. To eat and eat and eat, and then they picked up 12 basketfuls of fragments. You see, again, Father God lives in abundance, and He created you and me to live in abundance. So we see the will of God for us most clearly in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. Then we see it in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. The third place in the Scriptures that we see the will of God and what God desires for you and me most clearly is what we know heaven will one day be like. And we know again that heaven is another place of abundance. And Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, pray that Father's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, there are a lot of people who get get very uh, resistant towards what I'm trying to preach and teach here these last several weeks. And listen, I, I, I can't... You know, all I can do is what God instructs me to do and explain things the way He, you know, shows me to explain them to try to help people make better sense and better understanding of these things. I'm well aware that there are a lot of people who have taken things that God has said and they have twisted them and manipulated them to try and, uh, you know, benefit from them personally and and scamming people and selling things. Listen, I understand all of that, right? But just because somebody takes something from the Bible and abuses it, that makes them wrong. It doesn't make the Bible wrong. Let's let's take it off the the subject of of finances and giving and receiving for a moment. And let's let's go to uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There have been a lot of people who have done crazy, ridiculous, even wrong things in the name of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, things that God had nothing to do with that they said were the Holy Spirit. That makes them wrong. It doesn't invalidate the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just because somebody cuts a fool and calls it the Holy Ghost, that doesn't mean that we throw everything the Bible has to say out about the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? So does God have a lot to say about giving and receiving? He absolutely, positively does have a lot to say about giving and receiving. Oh, he's one of them prosperity preachers. Well, see, here, listen to me. I'm, I got my heart so full this morning. I am, I am unashamedly a prosperity preacher because I serve a prosperity God. God desires for his people to prosper. There's not a parent in this room that gets excited about their children's car being repossessed. There's not a parent in this room that clicks their heels because their children got evicted from their apartment. It's the heart of a mother and a father who not only wants good for their children, we want better for our children than we had. And we have that heart in us because it came from our Heavenly Father. See, here, here, is, here is one of the biggest problems that we have in the church today. Are you ready? It is one of the biggest problems we have in the church today. It's people trying to live under the terms of a new covenant with an old covenant mindset. 
People trying to live under grace with a law-based mindset. They're trying to operate in the New Testament with Old Testament thinking. All right, I've just got way ahead of myself. That's fine. We, we need to get where we need to be, okay? So, I know I've given you all these verses already. But the question before us again is, has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him? It's a simple question. It's the enemy, tradition, philosophy, all these things that, that Colossians 2 says robs God's people of God's blessings, right? You've got to set all that junk aside. And just ask yourself one simple question. What does the Word say? What does God say about this? And of course, we see what Jesus said about it. He said, give and it will be given unto you. Jesus said, give and it will be given unto you. My friend, this is an invitation. This is not a warning. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will it be put into your bosom? That means in your lap or in your pockets. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, we also see in 2 Corinthians 9, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We see a couple of very important things here in this verse. Well, more than a couple, but the two that I want to point out to you, once again, is that we see sowing and giving, sowing as in planting seeds and giving, the Bible, the scriptures refer to those as the same thing. Now remember, the world's economy is based upon buying and selling. In the world's economy, if you need more money, you, you figure out how to sell more of your time at a higher price. If you're, if you're in business, how to buy low and sell high. You know, how to make an investment, buy a stock at a, at a low price and sell it at a high price. The, the entire world's economy is based upon buying and selling. That's how we gain financial increase in, a, in the world system is through buying and selling. God doesn't operate on buying and selling. God operates on a sowing and reaping based economy. And he has given you and me as his children the opportunity to participate in his economy of sowing and reaping. And so when he's talking about you and I giving... He says giving is equal to sowing. And if you sow little, you will reap little in return. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously and bountifully in return. It is God's grace that has made this option available to his children here in this present evil world. Are you still with me this morning? Now, you have a heavenly Father who wants you to be blessed and He wants you to enjoy His blessings upon your life. Let's go, amen. Let's go to, um, thank you, Jesus. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. I tell you what, let's do Romans 5 first. Romans 5, and then we'll go 2 Corinthians 5. Can I talk to you for just a minute? Let's just talk about this for a minute, okay? I'm getting too worked up. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We were created by 
a righteous God to be righteous. Amen? Now, let me, let me just simplify that word righteous for a minute so that maybe you can better connect to it. Right. There's something hardwired into every one of us that wants to be right. Think about it. Nobody in here enjoys being wrong. And I would dare say most people in this room have continued down a road of conflict and argument long after you knew you were wrong, but you didn't want to admit you were wrong, so you just continued to press the issue because you were so bound and determined to prove that you were right. That's how much, be, that's how much being right is wired into us. We want to be right. Am I right about it? Okay. Why is that the case? So we take that for granted. We, we, see, even people that don't believe in God still want to be right. It's because a righteous God created you in his image and in his likeness. A righteous God created you to be right. And there's something hardwired into you that wants to be right. I know I've got you in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me put Romans 10.3 on here, okay? It says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What is, what is he talking about here? Have, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He's talking about people who have rejected the gift of righteousness. Listen to me now. They have rejected the gift of righteousness that God has offered to them and instead insist on making themselves right. In other words, God created them to be right. God wants them to be right. They desire to be right. They desire righteousness. God created them for righteousness. So at least that far into the equation, we're on the same page. But now watch this very carefully. Watch this very carefully. You said, Pastor Mark, I thought we were talking about giving and receiving. Stay tuned. Listen to me, please. Okay, I'm trying to show you something here. All right. So did the people want to be right? Did they, it's not just they want to be right. These people wanted to be right with God. They didn't just want to be right in some argument with their wife. They wanted to be right with God. They wanted to be right with God. God created them to be right with Him. God wanted them to be right with Him. Where is the disconnect? The disconnect is they wanted to be right with God their way. They wanted to be right with God, but they wanted to do it their way. Instead of submitting themselves to God's way of being right with Him. They wanted righteousness. God wanted righteousness. God had a way of making them right with Him. And they had a way of trying to make themselves right with Him. And they did not want to submit to God's way of being right with Him. They wanted to insist on, uh, on their own good works. And let me, let me say it another way. They wanted to earn it. They wanted to earn their right standing with God. They wanted to do a good, good enough works long enough so that God would say, okay, you finally achieved it. 
I'm going to give you credit because you've been so good and you've done so many good things and you've helped so many people and you've come to church so many times and, you, and you've, you've wanted to cuss and you didn't and you bit your tongue when you should have gotten, you wanted to gossip and blah, 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 blah. You know, all these other things, right? And so it's like, okay, all right, I give in. Just go ahead. You're right. They wanted to deserve it. They want, let me say that. I'm going to get a little stronger. Can I get a little stronger? Okay. They wanted God to owe it to them. They wanted God to owe them a blessing. They wanted God to owe them righteousness because they earned it. And now we deserve it. And look at what we've done. Salvation doesn't work that way. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift. It is a free gift. Those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Are you seeing this? So they insisted on making themselves right before God in the eyes of God. And we know that's self-righteousness. And what is that? It's filthy rags. It's not acceptable. There's only one standard of righteousness that's acceptable. And that standard of righteousness can only be received one way, as a gift. You receive it by faith as a gift. It is a free gift. We see this in some of the verses that... uh, I had you turn to. Let's go to Romans 5, 17. Here it is. It says, For by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he, speaking of God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, this, this is what grace does. Are you ready? Grace affords Father God the luxury of giving you and me what He desires for us to have instead of Him being forced to give us what we deserve. And when I say people are trying to function in a New Testament reality with an Old Testament mindset, this is at the heart of it. Now, let me try to put a bow on this. In the same way that we were created to be right, we were created by righteousness, for righteousness, righteousness is hardwired into us. Every person in this room wants to be right, and we've even argued positions that we knew we were wrong, but we argued them anyway because we never wanted to admit that we were wrong. We wanted to try to prove ourselves right, even when deep down we knew we were wrong. That's how powerful this desire in us to be right actually is. It's because you were created for it. But where, where have we gone off course? We've gone off course by, by the way we try to make ourselves right, Okay. I'm offering you this morning that the same thing is true with rich. Every person in this room desires to have an abundance. Every person in this room, you say, well, I, you know, I mean, Pastor, I've just learned, you know, to just be content with what I have. That's, that's, that is the absolute bedrock of prosperity. If you never learn to be content with what you have, you'll never be content no matter how much you have. Okay? But that still doesn't change the fact that there's something in you, you know, um, not that I've ever bought one, and if you have, I'm not judging you. I'm nobody's judge, okay? But when they talk about a $2 billion lottery, you can't tell me you haven't at least considered for a minute what you would do if you had that money. Right? And I believe you just like you believe me, right? The people we would help and the things that we would do for others, and I believe you and I, I hope you believe me that, that if we had that kind of cash, that's what we would do, right? unless you're not doing anything to help anybody with the amount of money you have right now. Because Jesus said that if you won't be faithful when you got a little bit, you won't be faithful if you got a lot, okay? 
amen or oh me, but let me get back. That's a different sermon for a different day, okay? All right. So, is God poor or rich? <laughs> he paves streets with gold, okay? Um, and he created you. Now, see, this makes people nervous. I'm, just stay with me. He created you to be rich. Every person in this room, it's hardwired into you to have more than enough. It's hardwired into you to have, to, to have everything that you need and then some. We see this, by the way, in, in, in the saga of God's people, right? He brought them out of the land of Egypt. That was a land of not enough. Through the wilderness, that was the land of barely enough. But what was his ultimate destination for them? The promised land of more than enough. He brought you out so that he might bring you in. He brought you out so that he might bring you in. There was no lack or poverty on planet earth until Adam and Eve sinned. Lack and poverty came because of the curse. It was never God's will for his people and it never will be God's will for his people. He created you to have an abundance and we long to have that abundance. We, we desire that. We were hardwired for it. But in the same way we were hardwired for righteousness, are you hearing me now? We try to make ourselves rich our own way instead of submitting to God's way. In the same way we try to make ourselves right doing it ourselves. We try to make ourselves rich doing it ourselves. And notice now, notice now, people have a hard time with folks. Let, let me say it another way. Back to, what we, back to what we said last week, okay? He worked hard for everything he's got. So meaning what? Meaning he deserves it, right? Man, that guy, he's got it. Man, he... He, he worked long hours, he worked hard, he showed up early, he stayed late, he took risks when everybody else was asleep, blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody else at the beach, he was fishing, he was working, he worked his fingers to the bone, he's got bony fingers, but he's got a lot of money to count with him, you know, blah, 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 he's all these other thoughts, right? See, so in other words, we, we admire that in our, in our culture today. Somebody who worked hard, that rags to riches story, oh, we love to hear it, we just, we just relish in all that. Am I right about this, right? See, people aren't comfortable receiving something they didn't earn. It's because we have that buying and selling mindset. It's because we have that, that, that works, earn it, deserve it mindset. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He adds no sorrow with it. I, see, again, I, there's verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that is very clear. He gives you the ability to get wealth so that his covenant might be established in all the earth. I mean, verse after verse after verse after verse it's un anybody that says it's not God's will, anybody that says God doesn't say, Jesus had more to say about money than just about any other subject. It's this idea that, that money's not in the Bible and that we shouldn't talk about it in church and all this other stuff, are you kidding me? Jesus said in Luke 16, how you handle money, which is the least important thing in your life, is a telltale sign of how you handle everything else in your life. Which brings me to my... Last point, and I'm trying to close. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Can you come back sometime and get the rest of this? Amen. There's so much here I want to try to explain to you. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Does this sound anything like he became your sin so that you could become his righteousness? 
He became poor so that you could become rich. Now, here is the first phrase of this verse is, again, the bigger issue here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the assumption? The assumption here is that because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you understand that he became poor so that you could become rich. If you don't know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have a real hard time with righteousness by grace. Are you hearing me? You're going to have a real hard time with wealth by grace. If you don't know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to do like those, folk, those, those Jewish men and women did. You have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And, you know, setting out to try to make yourself right and refusing to submit to the righteousness of God. Now, see, religion will tell you, this is greed. No, this is not greed. It's grace. God's grace has covered every aspect of your life. God's grace has covered your physical well-being. God's grace has covered your emotional well-being. God's grace has covered your spiritual well-being. God's grace has, has covered your eternal well-being. And God's grace has covered your financial well-being. When he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's kind of like what he said in Ephesians, right? To those folks, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, what you're displaying and how you're living right now is in contradiction to, as Donald Ballard says, the picture on the box. It's not according to Jesus. It's not according to the example Jesus said. It's not according to what you were taught by Jesus. It's, in other words, it was taught to you by someone else, and it's contrary to what Jesus said came to teach us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews says it's a good thing for the heart to be established in grace. Most of God's children, their hearts are not established in grace. Their hearts are established in works. Their hearts are established in the law. Their hearts are still established in this idea of what have you done for God lately? And what have you earned? And what does He owe you? And what do you deserve from God? You say, Pastor Mark, that's really, that's not what that verse means. No, let, let, I'm going to give you the I'm going to break it down for you, okay? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that word in the original language means was wealthy and possessed wealth, abundance, and riches. Yet for your sakes he became poor like a beggar in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless, that you through his poverty might become rich, possess an abundance of riches, wealth, and material goods. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you? Do you know it? Do you know His grace? Come on now. Stand with me this morning. Do you know His grace? Do you know His grace? Do you know that He loves to bless His children? That, he, that if we being evil know how to give good things to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If He spared not His only Son but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not now with Him freely give us all things? See, you desire, listen, I'm, I know you. I know you because I know me. You don't, you're not just looking to have more so you can enjoy more in your own life. You're looking to have more because you want to help more people. You want to be able to do more and, and help more and be a blessing. For, see, that's, that's, that's wired into you. God wants that for you. See, the religion tells you God doesn't want you. God wants you poor. God wants you broke. God wants you humble. No. God wants you blessed. 
He wants you blessed, right? In the same way, though, where's the difference? The difference comes in is, are we going to do it God's way? Are we going to submit to his way? Are we going to keep doing it our way? That's the real issue. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray over this. I'm going to pray over the food. And then before you move, I'm going to give you a couple of instructions, okay? Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Father, thank you for your wisdom, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Father, I'm not trying to offend people with this message, but Lord, this was so important that it was a key part of the suffering that Jesus endured on our behalf. He became poor so that we could become rich. Father, I thank you that we're, we're no longer trying to make ourselves rich through this world system of buying and selling. But Father, we're understanding the advantages of sowing and reaping and giving and receiving. Help us, Father, to trust you. Help us, Father, to obey you. Help us, Father, to utilize this uh, wonderful opportunity that you've placed in front of us. Now, Father, thank you for uh, a time of fellowship and, and um, Lord, just celebrating uh, your goodness to us this past year. Um, Father, thank you for protecting and preserving us. We pray for those in our family of faith, Lord, that are recovering. I thank you for your hand upon them now. I pray that you bless this food in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so the food is actually in the fellowship hall. And if you're familiar with this, there are two doors. Go down.